Welcome to the First Century Church Podcast. My name is Stephen Wilhoy, and I'm the lead pastor at First Century Church, and it is an honor to have you with us today. The goal of the podcast is simple. We want you to be encouraged, challenged, and inspired to go further in your faith than ever before. If you'd like more information about the church, you can visit our website, firstcenturykc.com. And if you happen to be in the Kansas City area anytime soon, we'd love to have you join us for one of our live gatherings to connect with you in person. Again, thanks for joining us today, and we hope that you enjoy today's message. So how many are watching the Olympics? Anybody? Oh, cool. I'm hearing a lot of, I don't want to watch the Olympics. It's not cool anymore. So it's like, no, you think you're cool because you say the Olympics aren't cool, but you're not cool, you know. But yeah, I've been, we watched quite a bit last night, a lot of good swimming action, a lot of other things going on. And so it's exciting. Track and field's getting started this week and we watched some basketball yesterday. So they're off and running. Uh, but as you probably know, with the Olympics, some events are individual sports and some are team sports. And... I want to talk just for a second about what I believe to be one of, if not the greatest team ever assembled. They were an Olympic team, and they were called the Dream Team. So 1992, the Barcelona Olympics, that was the first time that professional athletes were able to play. And so we have some of the greatest basketball players of all time on one team. So of these 12 players, only one of them is not in the Hall of Fame. 11 of 12 are in the Basketball Hall of Fame. It's a pretty good team. And uh, this team dominated their way to a gold medal in 1992. Let me give you some stats of uh, their domination. So they played eight games, won all of them. Uh, So out of 320 total minutes played, this team was in the lead 307 of those 320 minutes. Their largest deficit in the entire tournament was four points. They were down to Spain four to zero, and then they went on to win that game by 41 points. Actually, their opening match of the Olympics, um, they were actually down 2-1 to in like the first 30 seconds of the game. And then a couple minutes later, they were tied 7-7. to I think it was against Angola. So they were tied 7-7 to about two minutes in, their first match. Then they went on a 57-9 to run to close the first half, and they won the game by 68 points. Their average margin of victory was 43.8 points. And their closest game they played out of all eight was the gold medal game. They won by 32. That's domination. That's a great team. But great teams require great teammates. Because one of the difficulties with a team like this in the Olympics is, individually, all of these players are by far the best on their own professional team. And so they have to figure out who's going to be the number one. They have to figure out if it's close, who's going to take the last shot. Someone who might be used to scoring, so you might might recognize there's a guy named Michael Jordan there in the back row, right? He was not the leading scorer on this team. Charles Barkley there on the bottom right corner was the leading scorer in 1992. So you'd think automatically, if you asked me, I'd say Michael Jordan was the leading scorer. He wasn't. So these guys had to learn how to play together, how to be good teammates. When to, I, may have a, I may have a good shot, but if my teammate's wide open under the basket, I'm going to pass it to him for an easy two, for a dunk or a layup. So good teams require good teammates. So we're in this series, week two, called The Games, and we're looking at this idea that faith is a lot like an athletic competition. And 
faith, like an athletic competition, uh, can seem, it, it is in some respects an individual sport. You live your own faith, you grow your faith yourself, but it's also a team sport. To do that effectively, you need good teammates around you to do that well and to strengthen your faith. And so we're going to look at this idea today of teammates on this spiritual journey that we're on. So what we're going to look at today is really three things that teammates offer us, three reasons why we need good teammates, and the same reason that we, or three ways in which we can be good teammates. It's the same three things, but we're going to look at both sides of it. Three reasons why you need good teammates on your spiritual journey, and those three things are how you then can be a good teammate for other people's spiritual journeys. So here's the first thing we're going to look at today. The first thing that teammates provide that are, that's hugely important is encouragement. Good teammates provide encouragement. Again, it's, it is this balance between individual thing and a team thing, because I can't live your life of faith for you. You can't live my life of faith for me. I can't make decisions for you. You can't make decisions for me. I can't pray and read the Bible for you. I can pray for you, but not in your place. You have to pray on your own is what I'm trying to say. Uh, but what I can do as a teammate is I can help you and support you on your spiritual journey. What you can do for me is help me, encourage me, support me on my journey. And as we do this together, as we're good teammates and have good teammates around us, the team is then strengthened all the more. There's a great example of this in the Old Testament. In Exodus chapter 17, the Hebrews have just escaped Egyptian bondage, and they are just starting their wandering through the desert. And this other people group called the Amalekites, they attack this nomadic traveling bunch of people. They attack them. And so Moses, who's in charge, he tells Joshua to get the army together and go out and battle. And I'm sure Joshua's like, well, what, what are you going to do? And Moses like, I'm 80 years old, dude. Like, just stop it. And that's not what he said. He had a strategy. So here's what Moses did. You probably know the story. He goes, finds a high place. And, you know, kind of like in a war room, you kind of put the pieces on the, on the table or on the map, and you'd, he's kind of up there watching what's going on. And it says he took his staff with him, the same staff that when he's called at the burning bush, he throws it down, it turns into a serpent. The same staff that when he held it over the Red Sea, the waters parted, that staff. So this is like, I don't know, some kind of Gandalf wizard staff or something. I don't know what's going on, but it's a big deal. So he takes his staff with him to this high place. And the scripture says in Exodus 17 that whenever Moses held the staff up in the air, the Hebrews were, were winning the battle. But when he lowered the staff, the Amalekites were winning the battle. You know, it's kind of like when someone says, don't cross the line, you're like, I'm over the line. I'm not over the line. It's like, oh, they're winning. They're losing. They're winning. They're losing. And so obviously Moses is going to try to keep the staff raised the entire time. This is not like a five-minute battle. This is going to go on for hours, maybe even days. We don't know how long it took. But we do know Moses, first of all, he's 80. And second of all, he's lifting his arms for a long time. And his arms get tired and he can't lift them up anymore. And so his, when his arms are lowered, the battle's not looking too good for his people. But luckily... Moses didn't go on top of this hill alone. He had two great teammates that went with him. One was his brother Aaron, and the other was another man named Hur, H-U-R, not H-E-R. Don't get confused, okay? Aaron and Hur, they go, they're up there with him this whole time, and they're seeing what's happening. They're noticing a trend or a theme. When the staff is up, that's good. When the staff is lowered, that's bad. His arms are tired. He can't lift it up. 
So it says what they do is they find a huge stone and they get him to sit down on it to give him kind of a break. And then they literally hold his arms up so he can raise his staff. They will just, they're just there doing this, each at one elbow like this. They're holding it up so he can keep his arms raised so they can continue winning the battle. And so as they do that, finally, the army wins the battle. However, it wasn't necessarily the army that won the battle, was it? It was teammates that won the battle. It was Moses' two amazing teammates holding his arms up so the staff would be raised, so the army would win. It was his teammates giving him a break so he could sit down and at least try to get some relief that actually won the battle. It didn't take an army. It took teammates. Can I encourage you that you need teammates who will hold your arms up? You need teammates who will see you in need and will be there for you. You need teammates who will pick you up when you're down. You need teammates who will be a shoulder for you to cry on. You need teammates who will give you a pep talk to kind of get you going. You need teammates who will tell you, you got this. You can do this. And then when, when you come through the other side, you need those teammates saying, you did it. That's amazing. Can you believe what you endured? Can you believe what God brought you through? You didn't think you could. You were going to give up, but you didn't, and God came through. You need teammates who will cheer you on. You need teammates who will give you wisdom when you're confused or when you're making a decision. You need teammates who will pray for you consistently. Not just when you ask them, right? Not just when you're in a bind, but you need teammates who will consistently pray for you. You need teammates who will say, I'm not giving up on you because those are rare people give up on you in a second people give up on you for the slightest thing the slightest offense the slightest inconvenience but you need teammates i need teammates we need teammates who will say no matter what i'm not going to give up on you is what we need and also on the other side of this we need to be this kind of teammate so it's not just enough that I get fed by other people and I get encouraged by other people and, and I feel strengthened by them. That's great, but then I have to reciprocate that. I have to be a good teammate. I can't be a ball hog on the team, okay? I can't be the diva on the team. I only got to catch three passes today, QB. You know, yeah. We can't be cancer in the locker room, okay? We have to be a good teammate. So we have to be there when others need us for encouragement. We have to be their wisdom, their support, their prayer team. It's important that we have good teammates and that we are good teammates by being an encouragement to each other. This is crucial. This is so needed. So much more than we really realize, I think, because sometimes we're good. Maybe I'm talking just about me. Sometimes we're good about putting on a front like everything's okay, and inside we are dying. Inside, my, I just can't lift my arms anymore, but I... I look like I'm fine, right? Maybe you can relate. Maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm telling on myself here. I don't know. Uh, but there are moments, there are seasons, there are days, there are times when it's just like I can pretend really well, but I need people who can see through that. I need people who will say, hey, I, I got you. I'm going to lift your arm up. We're going to see this thing through to the end. That's what we need. We need this encouragement from our teammates. The second thing that teammates provide, and this, is, this sounds like it's the same thing, but it's not is teammates provide strengths. 
Now, I didn't say strength. That's what we just talked about. Encouragement is strength. I'm talking about strengths. I'm talking about having a well-rounded, diverse team, okay? It takes all of us working together to do this thing. And what Paul does throughout many of his letters, and we'll look at 1 Corinthians 12 here for a little bit. We're going to work through this chapter for a minute, is he uses the analogy of a body. That's why the church is called the body of Christ. Paul came up with that. He's a genius, okay? So he uses this analogy. We're going, to work through part of, or we're going to work through parts of this chapter for just a few minutes to look at strengths that the individual parts and people of the body provide to the other parts. So let's start at verse number 4, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4. Paul writes, There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit is the source of them all. There are different uh, kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it is the same God who does the work in all of us. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. We are all hardwired differently. and That's a good thing. We're all gifted differently, and that's a good thing because we each have different strengths to bring to the team. We each have different strengths to bring to the body. That's a good thing. And Paul says, what's the purpose of these different gifts? To help each other. That's the purpose. But oftentimes, if we're not careful, we will actually approach these differing gifts in two different incorrect ways that I'll look at for just a second. We either either observe or we compare others' gifts. Okay, so let's look at this observe thing. How does that work? Well, sometimes we will look at someone else's gift and we'll just sit back and watch them perform, okay? So sometimes maybe our attitude at church is, hey, let's just come watch the worship team's gifts and let's just come watch Stephen's gifts and go home. Well, that's, no, no, that's not what we're looking for. We all have something to provide to this body. We all have something to do in this body. There's all a part that we are called to play. It's not just observing other people's gifts. We have to be on board. There's no, like, there's not supposed to be a bench on this team, right? The church team of faith. We're supposed to be out there on the field being active. No observation. It, there's no observation part of this team. Sometimes we'll say, hey, they have the gift of leadership, so I'll just let them do all the work, right? And it's like, no, your gifts are needed on that team. If, 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 if there's spectators but no teammates, there's no one to lead for that person that has a gift of leadership. We need people on the team who are willing to be led to make this thing work. Or sometimes we'll say, you know what, they have the gift of generosity or hospitality, so I'm off the hook. Like, they'll make up for my lack of generosity or hospitality, so I'm fine, and the bottom line, no one will ever know that I didn't really contribute. Well, that's cheating, okay? That's why I hated group projects in school, okay? Because me, being the perfectionist, I want to get everything right. I want to check every box. I want to get an A++ on this assignment. And I don't need this fourth person on the team that's dragging us down, not doing anything. And they get the A++. I hate that. That's not how this life of faith works either. This team does not work that way. That's where the individual and team thing sort of, it, there's a tension there. Um, like we want to be as strong as we can be individually so that we can be a strength to the body corporately to bring uh, what we need at the end. So we don't, we don't want observation on the differing gifts. The second incorrect way to approach this idea is we can compare. And this is a bit different. Let me explain why. Sometimes we'll say, you know what? Oh, they have that gift. I wish I had that gift. Man, they have the gift of faith. They believe God for everything. I wish I could do that. It's like, well, what, what is your gift? And are you using it? If your gift is the gift of complaining, 
congrats, you're doing a great job, okay? If your gift is the gift of comparison, you're doing a great job. Those aren't really gifts. So it's not about, oh, they have this, I wish I had that. No. Discover your gift and use that, and that's all that God expects. That's all that this team needs. Or sometimes we'll say, you know, well, they think that they're something because they have this gift. They have the gift of discernment. They think they're so holy, you know, because they can just sense what God's doing, or they can sense what that person's feeling or thinking. Man, they must think they're something. Like, probably not. You have the spiritual gift of jealousy, you know. You need to, like, get that out of here. It's like we, we, we have the wrong non-gifts when we think that way, when we compare. That's not a gift. Or sometimes we will feel that certain gifts are more important than others. And we, it's not even a jealousy thing. It's that we just, oh, man, the gift of prophecy, woo! And, and even Paul says, yeah, that's a great one. That maybe is the best one. That's the only one that he gives that may, wiggle room. Maybe it's the best one. Uh, but it's like we think, oh, this gift, the gift of tongues is the best or the most holy. And even if we have it or we don't, we just assume there's a hierarchy of gifts. It's not really how that works, okay? It's not that there's more important gifts, just they're all different gifts. And again, that's good. That's where the strengths come in. The diversity there is important. So let's continue on uh, here in 1 Corinthians 12 and look at this same idea from a different vantage point. Down to verse 12. The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up the whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, and some are free. But we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. So it's the other side of this coin as he continues to flesh out this analogy. And think about your body. If your body was just a bunch of one part, it wouldn't be a very effective body, would it? If your body were just a bunch of feet, that's all your body is, is feet. Well, then you could go places, but you can't see where you're going. So you're going to run into things, you're going to fall off cliffs, you know, it's going to be terrible. You have no other senses to guide you through life. You can't even speak or communicate. All you can do is, you know, maybe you can do sign language with your feet. If you're that talented, maybe you could figure it out. But just a body of feet is not effective. In the same way, what if your body were only a bunch of eyes? Well, you could see everything, but you can't do anything about what you see. You can't get there to where you want to, you, you can see, I want to get over there, but I can't because I'm just a bunch of eyes. I have no feet to get me there. So the body doesn't work that way. And I'll use a couple of sports analogies again. We're doing this series, The Game. So if you're not a sports person, just hang in there with me for this week and next week, and then I promise we'll get off the sports theme, but okay? Uh, but we think, I think in football, we would assume the quarterback is the most important position. But would a team of quarterbacks be a very good team? It'd be an awful team. It'd be a terrible team. Because quarterbacks aren't the fastest on the team. They're not the strongest. They're not the most athletic. Now, they can throw the ball, and that's important. That's key. But the quarterback, if you throw from one quarterback to another, chances are he probably won't catch it because he's not, he you know, doesn't know what to do. He knows how to do this part, but not this part. If he does catch the ball, he's not that fast. He will get destroyed by a linebacker in half a second. A team, so quarterback's so important, but if the team is only quarterbacks, it's not a good team. In baseball, pitchers are pretty important, I would say. They're trying to keep the other team from scoring any runs. But a team full of pitchers only is going to be a terrible team. Because I don't know if you've ever, you know, I know in the American League that we're used to, we have a designated hitter. The other half of baseball, the pitchers have to hit. And it is really fun to watch because they're so terrible at it, you know. 
Uh, so a team full of pitchers, they're not going to score any runs. They're not going to get a lot of hits. They're not fast. They, don't ha- they, they, they have totally different mechanics in their job that they do. So a team, even though this position may seem important, only that position is not going to be an effective team. So each position, each person, each gift that we bring to the table brings total strength. It strengthens the team. And then down to verse 18, 1 Corinthians 12, 18, Paul says, But our bodies have many parts, and here's the key I want to focus in on for a minute. And God has put each part just where he wants it. So in the Olympics, you know, on a relay team, the last person is called the anchor leg. That person is usually the fastest runner or swimmer on the team. They save the best for last. So the team is hoping even if we're a bit behind, we're confident that the anchor leg is going to catch us up and win in the end. They're going to pull us ahead. Or if we're already ahead, they are going to blow away the competition. Every team has their anchor leg. They are placed right where they need to go. They are placed there by design on purpose to try to win the event. Even different team sports, the positions are there by design. So the person that throws the best is going to be the quarterback. If you're tall and fast, you're going to be a wide receiver. If you're a huge hulking dude, you're probably going to play on the offensive or defensive line. In basketball, based on size and skill, you're placed where you're placed for a purpose, on purpose. If you're a small guy who can dribble well, you're going to be the point guard distributing the ball. If you're a huge dude, you're going to play down low and get the rebounds, get the blocks, play defense. Maybe occasionally you'll score a little bit. We'll see how that works. But, the, but every position is there by design, just where the coach wants it and needs it. So let me say this to all of us this morning. God has you right where he wants you to be. If you're seeking him, if you're following him, I believe he has you where he wants you to be. It may not be where you thought you would be or maybe not be where you want to be. Uh, now, I will say this. If we're just doing our own thing, then we could be who knows where, Okay. So we just have to be careful about if we're, if we're following the coach and his instruction, he's going to place us where he wants us to be. God has gifted you for a reason. You live where you live for a reason. You work where you work for a reason. You're part of this body, this team, this church for a reason. God has you exactly where he wants you to be. It's by design. It's on purpose. Now, you may say, well, I don't really know what my gift is, or I don't really know what I'm good at, or how it translates to faith or, or the church. And I would say, that's fine. My encouragement would be, pray about that. Like, don't just say, well, I don't know. Like, pray to God who will help you discover what that gifting might be, what that skill could be, how it translates uh, to a faith team, to a church, to your spiritual life. How does that work? How does that translate? Or maybe you would just say, I don't know if I fit or how I fit. Maybe you just have to ask, right? Maybe you have a certain skill or interest or thing. You're like, maybe this will work in a church. Maybe this will be effective. I, I don't know. You just, you just have to ask, okay? There's no harm in trying to figure that out. I think there's a lot of good in trying to figure that out. But I believe that God has you right where he wants you as you seek him. And let's read this last verse of 1 Corinthians 12. It's verse 22. And he says this, in fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. A great example of this in sports in football is the kicker. 
the weakest and seemingly least important. That would be the kicker in most cases, okay? However, he says, those that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. Let me give you an example of how this might be true with the kicker in football. So there have been 55 Super Bowls that have been played in the history of the NFL. 19 out of 55 Super Bowls have been decided by seven points or fewer. Since the year 2000, the last 22 Super Bowls, 11 of them, half of the Super Bowls in this century have been decided by seven points or fewer. You're telling me a kicker is not important there? You're telling me that an extra point here missed, an extra point there missed isn't going to matter? You're telling me that a field goal here and a field goal there is not going to matter? It matters. Now, the kicker, now he's not going to throw the ball very far, and he's not that athletic, but he can kick the fire out of that pigskin, okay? And so it's important that good team, if a good team that actually has a shot to win at the end of the season in February, they better have a kicker who can come in in the clutch, or in our case, a butt kicker who can come in in the clutch. Yeah, you like what I did there? All right. So that's, that's where we are. And this sort of comes back to comparison here. Comparison. So you may say, well, you know what? My gift that I have, it's more behind the scenes. I'm not really seen or noticed or I don't get acknowledged or, or whatever. Uh, that's okay. You might be the kicker. So when, when, you're, when your number's called, man, if you're ready to come through, that's fine. You might just feel like, I'm just a cog in this great machine. Well, if you stop working, the whole thing shuts down. Okay? So it's not that, again, we don't want to say one's more important than the other. One gift, one job, one person is more or less important. No, we're just different, and that provides strengths to the other parts of the team. Your contribution may seem small. doesn't matter. Whatever you do is needed. Whatever you do is important. It, it get, your gift strengthens me. My gift strengthens you. Each of our strengths, each of our gifts strengthen one another, and the team is stronger because of it. So I need your strengths, you need my strengths, that's how a great team works. So the third thing we'll look at here for a minute, uh, the third thing that teammates provide that is crucial is accountability. Accountability. And this might be the least fun one, but let's look at it. Proverbs 27, 17, Proverbs says, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. Now when you sharpen a knife, you're actually, little bits of that knife are coming off the, the blade, Right? You're sharpening it, so little dull parts are coming off. So if a knife being sharpened had feeling and could communicate, it would say, ow, ow, oh, you know. Uh, however, then when it goes to slice that tomato, it's like, ah, because you're having to shave off the parts that are ineffective and that are hurting the productivity of that item to make it work how it should. So there's pain in the process, but the result is what we're looking for. It's that progress that we talked about a little bit last week. It's the same spiritually with our teammates. Sometimes correction between us is needed. Sometimes we have to shake each other, remind us of the goal, what we're doing this for. Sometimes we have to do that. Sometimes there's course correction needed. And here's the thing. When it comes to me and my spiritual journey, I've got blind spots. Okay? I'm not completely objective about me. So I need people around me who are objective who can see the blind spot that I can't see to say, hey, wait, wait, we need to work on that. Or, hey, there's something here that's off. Let's figure out what it is and how we can work through that. We need teammates that will do that. But there is a proper way to do this. And let's look at, let's look at this for a second. One more scripture. Ephesians 4, 15 and 16. 
Paul, again, talking about the body here in a different letter, says, Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps other parts to grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. So we referenced earlier Michael Jordan on the dream team. There's a famous story uh, of Michael Jordan in practice one day. He actually punched one of his teammates in practice. They got into each other's face. He was so fed up because he kept messing up this play. He kept screwing up this thing they're trying to do. They get into it, and then he just lets him have it. Okay, that's not what we're trying to do spiritually here, okay? This is not MMA church. That we're, we're not trying to beat each other into submission. We're not trying to beat the sin out of each other. You know, we're not trying to do that. That's not what we're doing. But if we avoid accountability, that also is not a solution to the problem. If we avoid those difficult conversations, if we avoid like really looking internally at our own condition when others bring certain things to light, that's not helpful either. It doesn't help the body or the team either. So how do we uh, do this spiritual accountability correctly and well? There's three things quickly I want to mention, really three steps to doing spiritual accountability correctly and in a healthy way. First, we have to be open to correction. You, if you want to get stronger spiritually, you have to be open to correction. If I want to get stronger spiritually, I have to be open to correction. So if I'm never wrong, that's a red flag. That's a bad sign. If every time someone confronts me about something, I get defensive immediately, that's a red flag. That's a bad sign. If I'm not honest with myself and saying, hey, guess what, Stephen, you're not perfect, that's a bad sign. Again, that's why I said we're not always objective about ourselves, are we? We have blind spots that we, I don't see that flaw in me, but this person sees it, okay? So we have to be open to correction for accountability to work. We just, that's the first step. Honesty is a must. The second part, the second step in proper, effective, correct spiritual accountability is we have to give access to others. So now I will say, not to everyone, this is not like open season on me where anybody and everybody who's maybe never met me but one time for five seconds can then speak into my life, okay? I'm not giving that person access, okay? Uh, or anyone and everyone that I just, I, I kind of casually know, but they don't really know me that well. They try to say, well, I sense this problem with you. I'm like, uh, I don't know you. You, you don't know me. Like, I, I, maybe I'll listen and consider, but I'm going to kind of keep that way back here. Uh, and if somebody else that I do know and do trust and is someone that I, that I know really well that knows me, if they have the same concern, then let's get the ball rolling here. Okay, so it's not just open season. We have to be selective on who we give access to. What's their track record? Okay, when we look at them, how they do this with other people, do they just blow it every time? Do they get it wrong every time? Are they just trying to make trouble? Do they have that track record? Are they a reliable person? Are they an honest person? Uh, can I trust them to give them access? But we have to find people to give access to in our lives to get better, to get stronger spiritually. We have to be vulnerable. That is a scary word to consider. Letting people in, giving them access to say personal things to me, to say difficult things to me, 
to point out weaknesses in my character, to point out things about me that I maybe don't think are a big deal, but maybe they are. Maybe other people are talking about this and they won't come to me. I need that person who will come to me and not to everybody else. We need that in our lives because I have to know that I have weaknesses and I have to give people permission to make me better. That's what being a good teammate is and what a healthy team looks like. So we have to be open to correction. We have to give access to others. And then here's the third part about spiritual accountability. We have to then, on the other hand, be willing to correct. So access is no good if you don't take advantage of it. If you have people who will say, I give you permission to say anything to me that you want about my life, my speech, my character, my marriage, my family, anything, okay? If, if I sense things, but I'm like, oh, I don't want to offend them by bringing that up, what good is that access? It's useless. If I'm like, well, I don't want to appear like I'm superior to them, no, that they gave you access to do that. It's not that you're in, intruding on their lives. It's not that you're being a busybody. It's not that you're trying to find fault. It's that you're trying to make this person better, and they gave you permission to do that, to pull them aside and say, hey, knock it off to have a conversation about, okay, this thing in your life seems to really be self-destructing. What's going on? Like, if people give you access, take the access. Because you're not doing them any good if you don't. If people give me that permission in their lives to speak into their lives on a personal level, and I just kind of sit by and watch them destroy themselves, I have done ill toward my teammate by not doing anything. If I've not spoken up and tried to warn them or help them or cheer them on or encourage them or correct them, I, I don't know, they, they might not take it well. Guess what? That's not up to you, okay? Our responsibility is not their response. Our responsibility is not how they respond from that point forward. I can't, I'm not, we're not trying to control people. That's not what accountability is. So don't take this pressure upon yourself. Well, I, I tried to help them and they still blew it. I tried to give them the right advice, and they still obviously did the wrong thing. That's, not, that's out of our control. We do our part in this accountability thing, and then we let God and this other person do what they're going to do, take care of the rest. So we have to be open to correction, give access to people, and then take that access, be willing to correct when it is appropriate, because that's what we want. We, as teammates, you know, we don't necessarily want to punch each other in practice, but maybe we do have to like sit down with them after practice and say, you, you keep messing this play up, like, or, or in, base, in hitting practice, you know, someone comes aside and they say, if you just turn your hips a little bit faster, you wouldn't, you wouldn't, you know, get into double plays all the time. Well, you know what, I've been playing for 20 years and I don't need your help. Okay, if you want to keep, you know, messing the team up and get benched and, lo- and end your career early, that's your decision. I'm trying to help you out, you know, or if somebody's taking, you know, a long, they keep shooting threes and they're terrible at it, you know. Maybe you want to, like, step two feet in and shoot a two that you can make more often. Ah, um, it's a three-point league now. I don't need your advice. Okay, if you want to keep missing all your shots and get benched and end your career early, that's on you, okay? So we have to be open to correction, willing to give access, and willing to uh, use the access that we're given to help our team grow stronger. So in the end, I want you to be strong and healthy spiritually, right? That's my desire, And so I want you to surround yourself with encouragers to help get you through whatever you're facing. I want you to discover, grow in, and use whatever gift or gifts God has gifted you with. Not just sit back and wait, not just watch other people, not compare. I'm not, that's not a good enough gift. I'm going to wait for an upgrade. No, 
what you got, use it now, okay? And I want you to be willing to be real in your faith, willing to be stretched in your faith. It's like a muscle that gets stretched. It hurts. Ironing, ironing sharpening iron. It, iron, no, not ironing, iron sharpening iron. It's going to hurt. You might get cut along the way a little bit. It might be painful, but it's worth it because strength uh, individually and for the team is the goal. And so as a church, I want us to remain a healthy group, a healthy body. So let's be there for one another. Let's work together with our gifts, strengthening each other. Let's grow together to make each of us individually healthy. And then a byproduct of that is a healthy team.